0: Hello and welcome to These Are The Voyages. This episode is brought to you by Lieutenant Amando Ryan. Thank you. Hello and welcome back on These Are The Voyages podcast. I'm Captain Chase McKinney, and it is so exciting to have you guys back. Thank you so much for uh, those of you that have had the chance to listen to our first episode, the, the introductory episode, just to get to know what's going on. This place, this podcast is all about just having fun and talking Trek and just being together with friends, enjoying one another. Whether you're new to the fandom or you've been dyed in the wool, you know, you're you know, you're Spock, you know, you're Kirk, you know, the Tellerites, you know, all these folks. Um, this, this place, this podcast is for all people as we go on a journey of exploration of our love and our growing appreciation of Star Trek. So uh, those of you that uh, might have listened to the first episode already, uh, there has been um, some developments in that. We have a Facebook page. We have a Facebook group, uh, Twitter, and an Instagram now. Um, Also, the show is now on iTunes and Spotify. And we'll be uh, getting on um, other podcast providers here um, as as soon as we can. But we have the main ones up right now uh, with, like I said, iTunes and Spotify. Now, for anyone that has listened Uh, There was um, this idea of, you know, where do you want this in-show ship, this in-show station to be if you want it to be one or the other. And there was a poll that we put in the Facebook group, and 100% of the vote, uh, now mind you, there was a handful of you guys that voted, but 100% of the vote was to have both, to have both a station and a ship. So, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to officially announce the name of the station and the ship, uh, here in an upcoming episode. And, um, I don't know, we might, we might do it at the end here today. We'll just, we'll see how it goes. Um, but the main thing is that, um, I really want you guys to have some buy-in with the show with the creative process that we're doing. So that means like, I want to, you know, get you guys, um, helping me name the station, helping me name the ship. Uh, so it can't be Deep Space Nine, not not gonna happen that's just that's a popular one we want this to be our own this is our own station okay just like we want our own ship and uh nothing like the enterprise or the defiant or anything like our voyager just something uh fun so uh i'll put something up on the facebook group so if you haven't joined the facebook group um and you're on facebook um it's you have to be approved to join but everyone gets approved that requests to join so um just as long as you're cool and um i mean don't be mean-spirited or a troll or anything and, and you're fine it, this is it, the, the facebook group is meant to be your group to talk about things we've had some people talk about uh a recent astronaut a female astronaut that wore a star trek uniform in space and quoted janeway which is pretty cool so that's just some stuff that's already been posted. There's gonna be more that's gonna be posted. And I'm really excited about some of the things that uh some of the things, some of the guests that I'm gonna be getting lined up to come on the show and to talk Trek with. Uh, one of which I might have talked about last time, but it is one of my high school and college friends. Uh we were in Boy Scouts together. We uh We were in Boy Scout leadership together, we did trainings together, a bunch of different things, and uh, he was really um, an important part of me getting into Trek just because he let me borrow a lot of his his Trek stuff, like um, the different Trek series, um, like Voyager and Enterprise to name some since I was already watching all of Next Gen on Spike TV at the time uh, when I was in college. So, um, lo- really looking forward to having him on and to hear about his story, to hear about his love of Trek, and for us just to talk about something. Um, and he'll be coming on in the near future. Uh, I also have another friend of mine from the cosplay community, from the um, Comic Con community, uh, that's doing a really cool project right now um, from a cosplay perspective. Uh, that will actually be uh, a part of as well. And um, he's been on my other podcast before. In fact, he was on my other podcast when we were doing a Star Trek episode. So it's going to be really cool to have like just those two people just to get us started with. Um, eventually, we're going to be getting more, um, and eventually there will be um, a first officer. So I'm still, I'm still recruiting. I'm still trying to identify a good first officer for the show. Um, the first officer, you can be a commander or you can be a major if you want to really be part of the Bajoran militia. That's fine too. Um, <laughs> and uh, all of this will make sense. Um, I just think it's, I think it's important that we be in community with each other that we be in com- we have these conversations with each other uh, so that we're not just isolating and uh, anyway. So that's some of the developments. That have been going on in terms of the show um, Our show Now there are some other things That are going on um, That are kind of cool And um, It's relating to What's going to be ramping up Here uh, in the next I don't know couple months When Star Trek Picard comes out January 23rd, 2020 um, Followed by um, Somewhere in there Star Trek Discovery Season 3 now, those of you that um, haven't watched any Star Trek, um, don't don't be afraid of the rich history that there is with Star Trek in terms of it being on, you know, premiering in uh, 1966. Part of what we're going to talk about today is going to be the history of Trek. But also encouraging you to go, ahead, just go ahead and take a step into whatever truck you want, whether it's on like Netflix or it's CBS All Access, wherever you want to watch it. If you want to go buy it, like some DVDs, some Blu-rays, and watch it, that's cool too. I want to encourage you just to get into it somehow. Um, and if this is the way that you're getting into it, great. I, I'm so happy that I get to be a part of that for you. Uh, but you know, when 2020 comes around, beginning of the year. Don't be afraid to watch Star Trek Picard or Discovery. Um, I believe that by watching it, it's going to only add to um, curiosity of wanting to understand more of what happened uh, in the past with these other shows that are kind of interconnected with each other. So there's that. Uh, Again, so very, 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 very happy that you're here. So, let's go ahead and talk about, uh, we're going to talk about Gene Roddenberry and uh, the early development of Star Trek in the 1960s. Operations. Gene Roddenberry, who's affectionately known as the Great Bird of the Galaxy, has not been with us. He has gone on to the Undiscovered Country, uh, and this occurred October 24th, 1991. However, his legacy continues to remain as Star Trek uh, continues to flourish and grow, and there have been, um, I believe we're on, 13 movies and uh, what are we at, like seven or eight, almost nine television series, all of which have maintained his vision of the future. Uh, Gene Roddenberry led a life as colorful and as exciting as almost any high adventure fiction. He was born in El Paso, Texas on August 19th, 1921, and nearly escaped death as a toddler when a house fire almost took his life, as well as his siblings' lives, Bob, Doris, and their mother. But there was a milkman that came along and woke them in time to avoid any injuries. Gene spent his boyhood, he grew up in the Los Angeles area where he later studied three years of uh, being a policeman, uh, being in law enforcement and then he transferred to more um, academic interest to aeronautical engineering and eventually qualified for a pilot's license. Uh, He ended up volunteering for the United States Army Air Corps in 1941 and was ordered into training as a cadet when the United States entered World War II. As a second lieutenant, uh, Roddenberry was sent to the South Pacific where he entered combat Um, at uh, Guadalcanal flying B-17 bombers out of the newly captured Japanese airstrip, which became Henderson Field. He flew these missions against enemy strongholds at Bougainville and participated in the Munda invasion. He was decorated with the distinguished flying cross and the air medal. It was while in the South Pacific that uh, Roddenberry began to write. He sold stories to flying magazines and also uh, later poetry to uh, different publications, including the New York Times. He even wrote a song lyric, I Want to Go Home, which became a popular song during the war. Now, when the war ended, he joined Pan American World Airways and it was on a flight from Calcutta that his plane lost two engines and caught fire in flight, crashing at night in the Syrian desert. As a senior surviving officer Roddenberry sent two Englishmen swimming across the Euphrates River in quest of the source of a light he had observed just prior to the crash impact. The Englishmen that he had sent reached a Syrian military outpost, which sent a small plane to investigate. Roddenberry eventually returned with the small plane to the outpost, where he broadcast a message that was relayed to Pan Am, which sent a a stretcher plane to the rescue, and Roddenberry later received a civil aeronautics commendation for his efforts during and after the crash. Roddenberry continued flying until he saw television for the first time. Correctly estimating television's future, he realized that the new medium would need writers and decided that Hollywood's film studios would soon dominate the new industry. He acted immediately. He left his flying career behind and went to Hollywood only to find television industry still in its infancy, with few openings for inexperienced writers. At a friend's suggestion, he joined the Los Angeles Police Department following in his father's footsteps and gaining experience which would be valuable to a writer. It wasn't until 1966 six that is, when Roddenberry would create and produce Star Trek that he found his voice in Hollywood. Uh, the first of two pilots that uh, he developed were determined to be too cerebral. Supposedly, by uh, the network, and rejected. However, once on the air, Star Trek developed a loyal following as viewers grew to love the starship Enterprise and its crew, which included the heroic Captain Kirk and the logical Vulcan, Mister Spock. We've we've probably heard in some way the opening monologue uh, that has been determined to be very uh, popular uh, pop culture reference to Star Trek, where it goes, Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. These words were written by Gene Roddenberry on August 10th, 1966, roughly four weeks before the pilot aired, the official pilot aired. And this set the tone, this opening monologue, this speech set the tone and mood for an entire generation of Star Trek fans. Roddenberry unwittingly unleashed a phenomenon in which Star Trek enthusiasts became a veritable cult uh, with numbering physicists, aerospace engineers, housewives, senators, children, teachers, and intellectuals among its devotees, affectionately known as Trekkies and later Trekkers. Which, by the way, there's this brilliant documentary uh, that came out in the 90s, or at least around the late 90s, early 2000s, that talks about you know, the, the, the wild fandom of Star Trek, and spotlighting on the fans, these Trekkies and Trekkers. I personally don't care uh, if you call me a Trekkie or a Trekker. Uh, There was this uh, argument uh, made for one over the other in which a Trekkie is someone that likes all of Star Trek, and that includes the original series. A trekker is someone that allegedly... Um, only prefers the mo- the Star Trek movies forward. And, what, and let me clarify, Star Trek movies forward. That is original series cast, movies, and newer, but not the original series itself. Um, again, I don't really care. I like all of it. Um, I like some of it more than others, but you can call me either and it's not going to bother me. Uh, and I'm sure there's others out there that might feel the same. But apart from that, um, the show itself... Of Star Trek and what Gene was doing, went outside television to win science fiction's coveted Hugo Award and then spawned an animated spin-off as well as a series of feature films, kind of like what I was talking about. Um, And there's an interesting story about that and its connection to Star Wars um, that I'm hoping that we can talk about with um, some Star Wars friends of mine um, that might do podcasts or just like Star Trek and Star Wars or be willing to talk about that kind of thing. Now, while making Trek, Roddenberry's reputation as a futurist began to grow. His papers and his lectures earned him um, high professional regard as a visionary, and he spoke on the subject at NASA meetings, the the Smithsonian, uh, the Library of Congress, and other top universities in the country. Star Trek was so wildly popular that it has since become the first television television series to have an episode preserved in the Smithsonian, where an 11-foot model of the Enterprise is also exhibited on the same floor as the Wright Brothers' original airplane and uh, Lindbergh's Spirit of St. Louis. In addition to Smithsonian honors, NASA's first space shuttle was named Enterprise in response to hundreds of thousands of letters that fans demanding that the shuttle be named after the beloved starship. In, on September 4th of 1986, Gene Roddenberry's uh, fans presented him with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He's the first writer-producer to be so honored. Star Trek The Next Generation in its first year in syndication was awarded with the 1987 Peabody Award for the Best of the Best. The series also garnered many of the prestigious Emmy Awards throughout its seven-year run. In February 1990, the March of Dimes honored Roddenberry with the Jack Benny Memorial Award of Lifetime Achievement. On Thursday, October twenty-fourth of ninety-one, Gene Roddenberry passed away, and a world not so far away mourned the loss of one of television's foremost pioneers. Sorry, guys. Sadly, Gene died within forty-eight hours of screening *Star Trek: The Undiscovered Country*, the last *Star*, Tre- the last *Trek*. That revolved around his original characters. At the time of his passing, Gene was survived by his wife, Majel Barrett, who played Nurse Chapel uh, from Star Trek and Lawaksana Troy in Star Trek The Next Generation, and their 17 year old son, Gene Roddenberry Jr., his two grown daughters from a previous marriage, as well as two grandchildren. In addition to having served as executive consultant on Star Trek uh, feature productions, Gene um, Roddenberry added novelists to his writing uh, repertoire, repertoire, and his novelization of Star Trek The Motion Picture sold close to a million copies and was ranked number one on the national bestseller list for many weeks. Now, that being said, uh, when when we, we talk about The development of Star Trek, um, you got to think about like the time that that the show was being created in. Um, You know, in the nineteen fifties and sixties, and even uh, into the seventies to a certain extent, um, westerns were um, were pretty much the gold standard when it came to television at the time. I mean, you got to think about uh, shows like Gunsmoke and Bonanza, uh, The Rifleman. Uh, and a slew of other Westerns that were really popular for that time period. Gene Roddenberry knew this, and he actually pitched it as wagon, sorry, wagon train to the stars. And uh, he knew that, um, or at least he had this inkling, that if he could kind of pitch it as like a a new take on a Western, so to speak, um, that you know there there's a good, good chance that it would get picked up and um, and whatnot. And as I as I mentioned earlier, you know when he pitched it, um, there were a few complications. Um, he couldn't re- he had a really difficult time selling the show to different uh, production companies uh, to really pick it up. Um, there were reports of it being too cerebral. Um, the original makeup for Leonard Nimoy's uh, Spot character was seen as too, um, <laughs> too demonic. Um, and you know, interestingly enough, they, the, the producers thought that people in the Bible belt, so the Southern United States in America, uh, wouldn't, you know, be on board with this kind of show and these characters being, um, being in people's living rooms in the, ni- in the mid to late 1960s when it originally aired. Um, so um, so there, was, there was that piece. And um, there's a, um, an actress um, that many people uh, have heard of, um, and she had her own set of shows, and um, that's Lucille Ball. So um, Lucille Ball of I Love Lucy was actually really instrumental in getting things to move forward when it came to Desi Lu, uh, the like the Desi Lu production company um, that was actually uh, the company behind her own show, I Love Lucy, and the various spin-offs of um, I Love Lucy. So, um, with that and um, the the other um, production companies that went along with it. Um, Finally, stood it. Actually, it actually took took wind, or it it, it took shape uh, with actually getting picked up. And I, I'm sorry if I'm kind of stumbling through this. Um, Jeffrey Hunter was the uh, first choice for playing the captain of the Enterprise, um, and uh, there was a good a good chunk um, that was shot. I mean, there was an entire pilot, that, an entire episode that was shot. Uh, with him in in command of the Enterprise, and um, Leonard Nimoy Spock was um, still still in it as well. Um, but like like I was saying before, um, folks thought it was too cerebral, and then like the character of Spock was um, like a satanic-looking thing, and they wanted it to be more Western-like, uh, which was part of the landscape at the time there in the 60s. Uh, was more westerny, so that's when they brought in uh, William Shatner um, to play Captain Kirk, uh, which we all know is you know the uh, the leader, the the captain of of the USS um, Enterprise, the NCC-1701. For those of you that might not know the the uh, serial number for the ship, and um, you know with that that's when it really it really took over and it was really a launching point at from there so um we can really thank desi lu we can really the the desi lu and the the paramounts and the the people like that at the time that really gave uh gene roddenberry a chance uh with this show now we'll talk more about this perhaps in a, in a future episode but um you know the the show itself um had a very short um lifespan um in terms of how long it was on the air um the show was on for um, a total of three seasons um it was actually going to get canceled if i'm not mistaken um in season two and there were people that wrote in and got it a third season and then it just eventually just went off the air but it got new life through syndication and um because of the new life that it got in syndication, it was able to eventually um, get its own, um, you know, movie uh, series of sorts, you know, starting in, in the 19, uh, late 1970s, early 1980s. And we will dedicate an episode to talk about um, some of our favorite Star Trek movies. Um, uh, we might do... Um, like a couple at a time, we might do one at a time, just picking apart uh, the movies, and I'll um, probably invite some of my friends, actually I plan on inviting some of my friends to talk about these things, um, and, and I've, I've done this before with, um, with another podcaster um, that focuses strictly on movies, and um, um, I know she, she listens or she's starting to listen to this podcast, so thank you, Lisa, for, um, for listening to this podcast and thank you for what you do um, on yours. I love this movie or I love that movie. Um, and uh, anyway, she's a fantastic person. Check her out and uh, go from there. But you know, Star Trek almost didn't happen, just like a lot of shows almost didn't happen. Um, but it was through a lot of tenacity, um, you know, despite any drama. That might have been happening in the background that it was eventually able to get up off the ground and uh, to boldly go uh, where no man had gone before um, there and some of the criticism with Spock being um, on there um, and wanting his stuff to change like his characterizations his appearance to change um, Gene Roddenberry actually met with producers and was like look this isn't the united Earthship. this isn't anything like that this is a united spaceship a united starship um, so that's why he really fought to have spock and these other aliens um, as part of the federation to um, to represent um, the differences in humanity the differences um, the different cultures and things like that that the Enterprise would be um, interacting with uh, from time to time whenever they would be going from different planets to different parts of the of the solar system, things like that. So uh, it was really cool how he did that. And the Enterprise itself is intended to be, or at least I believe it's intended to be, more of a... Um, a representation of us um, as a society and how we work through our differences. And that's when you see, that's why you see um, these different characters on the bridge. Like you have Uhura, you have um, Sulu, you eventually have Chekhov, um, and then of course Spock and and, uh, Montgomery Scott, affectionately known as Scotty. Um, And we're we're gonna talk about these folks later, Um, but I just want you guys to kind of understand uh, especially for those of you that um, are new to Trek, um, kind of like the origins of this, and um, especially as we prepare for this next, um, like, third wave of, of Star Trek. First wave I consider to be the 1960s. Um, up through, um, like, the movies. Maybe maybe this would be considered the fourth wave. I don't know. Uh, first wave was 1960s. Um, Second wave kind of came with like syndication in the movies. Uh, Third wave, I would suggest, would probably be in the 80s through the 90s, which is the next generation up through um, Star Trek um, Enterprise, which is considered a prequel to the entire franchise. And um, then we're in our fourth, I believe, which is partly the J.J. Abrams movies, as well as um, Star Trek Discovery, that's back on the air along with everything that's following it. So if I got too far in the weeds with that, sorry, y'all. Um, this is just a very basic, um, kind of cursory uh, look at uh, Gene Roddenberry and uh, just Star Trek in general. Um but the thing about, about this um, Star Trek is that whenever he did take um, his idea originally, um, there were executives at CBS that quizzed him for two hours about his plans for the show and then told him goodbye, and uh, they ended up buying Lost in Space instead. Um, he ended up having a much better luck at um, NBC, which ordered up a pilot. Uh, Which I was kind of telling you about, called The Cage, and that starred Jeffrey Hunter. Um, And the network, um, like the second, so the second go around featured an almost entirely new cast, which, um, like I said, replaced Hunter. And uh, uh, most of the shows in the 1960s uh, would have like a lot of stock sets, stock props, and things like that. Um, but Star Trek had to basically create everything. I mean, like, you have to make it look like the 23rd century. Like, you have to kind of picture what you think the 23rd century is going to look like. Um, and they, they went into painstaking detail um, regarding the Enterprise and mapped it out in detail. Um, Roddenberry was obsessed of um, when it came to, like, the gadgets, the costumes, and all the terminology he was trying to keep ahead of real life technology that proved to be a challenge. So, um, like the, the hand weapons that were originally carried were called lasers and Roddenberry, um, in his brilliance realized that, um, lasers might actually become commonplace, um, in the next few years. Um, and he ended up changing the name of it to phasers. Um, and he was, um, quoted as, as explaining and saying, you know, we didn't want people saying to us three years from now, oh, come on now, lasers can't do that. Um, Roddenberry ultimately delivered his second pilot in January of 66, and this time NBC picked it up for the fall schedule. Star Trek made its uh, debut um, on September 8th, 1966, which was opposite of some popular shows at the time, like Bewitched and My Three Sons. And um, The initial reactions weren't too encouraging, um, um, but ratings were just good enough to win the series a renewal, but by the middle of its second season, like I said, NBC, uh, the producers and folks like that, they were ready to cancel it. Um, there were only 79 episodes that were created, um, but, um, So with that, that is um, basically um, a a general overview of the creator of Star Trek um, and just kind of the early uh, days, the early developments of Star Trek as a television series. Now with that, we are going to um, um, move um, a little far into the future and we are going to talk about some upcoming Trek, and we are going to do some um, some uh, inquiring, um, some inquiry, some fascinating inquiry, as um, Spock and Data would kind of say. Um, so, with this, um, you know, as I'm thinking about uh, Star Trek: Picard coming out January 23rd of 2020. Uh, which is just a few months away. Uh, We're about eight weeks. No, we're about, I guess we're about 12 weeks, actually, away from this actually happening. Um, And looking at the trailers and knowing that there are cast members that are coming back um, in different ways from uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, um, namely being Patrick Stewart, uh, who plays Jean-Luc Picard, in um star trek the next generation the captain of the uss enterprise in that tv show uh there are some um uh some things um it's like some theories that i have um some speculation that i have um, about this Uh, there's zero verifiable anything this is just my brain my noodle uh thinking of some weird stuff but you know you If you haven't looked at the trailer, I want to encourage you to go look at the trailers for Star Trek Picard so you'll have a better idea of what the heck I'm talking about. And I will actually put um, uh, links to the trailer in our Facebook group, so make sure that you go and check out our Facebook group so that you're in the know and so that you can just hang out with us and and talk Trek and really help shape the show and form the show and, uh, you know, go from there. So what I'm kind of thinking when it comes to um, a possible storyline or or a possible uh, thing that might happen is we've seen uh, these parts of uh, the Borg, these cybernetic um, bad guys basically from the past, um, and we know that Brent Spiner's data is involved uh, somehow and um, I think there might be some threads that kind of connect together from The Measure of a Man, which was from Season 2 of The Next Generation, um, as well as different things all throughout Data's lifespan and the Borg and the impact the Borg had on on Jean-Luc Picard. Um, But what I'm kind of thinking might happen is... um, it'd be really cool if i if i called this so if if it happens just look at yours truly right here okay just look back at the podcast and be like yeah captain chase he's got it um so what i'm thinking might happen is that there's been advances in cybernetics in positronic brains and things like that and with the borg being assimilated humanoids um meaning these are humans, these are human-like um, or alien um, species that have had these cybernetic implants. Um, that They've been assimilated, they've been um, basically stripped. They've been stripped apart um, to become this new thing or whatever. So I think what might happen is there's going to be um, research on the Borg um, to where they might try and combine the Borg and android technology together to create an entirely new um, like subspecies, so to speak, that might be subservient to humans and those um, with the Federation, which would take a drastically dark turn for uh, Star Trek. And we know that Star Trek is becoming a little darker with uh, the way that Discovery, Star Trek Discovery, presents um, the ideas of Star Trek and the direction that it's kind of going. And that it's been advertised that Star Trek Picard is going to be a darker take, or slightly darker take, on Star Trek. And that Picard might not be the same captain that you know, that might not be the same character that you know, um, that he might be quite different. So I don't think that he's necessarily going to become this android Borg hybrid but I think it would be an interesting um, direction to go down if it did end up playing like that in some way or fashion or whatever the heck it might be. Um, Because you got to think the Borg they're they're potentially members of a ship or a station there in Starfleet in the Federation, um, or they might be part of just some other you know Federation or distant planet out there somewhere, and they've just been assimilated. They've been converted from flesh and bone to flesh and bone and cybernetics, and to replace a brain with a positronic brain or something like that would just be wild. It would just be wild, it would be very dark, but I think it'd be kind of cool at the same time too. And how, how would the ideals of Star Trek um, engage in that kind of conversation of changing a person's um, identity completely, um, like transforming them and whatnot um, at such a fundamental level um, to where you you don't necessarily recognize them but they're just they're different they're there's just something off um and i think it could also be a good opportunity to talk about uh, class or class systems um not necessarily like how it would be like with a caste type of system like in other cultures and religions uh, but I, I think it could be a, um, a beat along the same lines for the most part and it would be, it, like I said, just be a really interesting take on it for the most part. Um, I don't know. That's just kind of where I'm at with that idea. Um, it might seem out there. But um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, for for those of you that might have seen the Star Trek um, Picard trailers, uh, there's been like two or three already. What do you think? Uh, what are some things that you might be picking up on um, that you're kind of seeing? You know, what's your reaction to the trailers? Um I want you to, uh, to leave a comment. Leave some comments on these YouTube trailers that I'm going to post in the group and go from there. And um, I'd love to, to talk about it more. Now, apart from the speculation, um, we're, we've also just been made aware of what Admiral Picard's uniform looks like. And it is Beautiful. Um, it's a little weird in terms of the development of the uniforms uh, throughout the lifespan of the series because um, the uniform itself looks like it's from like '80s and '90s Trek, like, like, like late '80s, early '90s, pre Next Generation movies. So it looks it looks a little different in terms of the continuity uh, where they went from like bright colors to darker colors. To go from more of like an explorer to a military kind of look, so we do know, or at least we have an idea, that they're going back to more of an exploration kind of model, or they're going they're going back to being more explorers and scientists, um, like we've known uh, Starfleet and Starfleet um, officers and personnel to be. Uh, so it just it looks different. Um, Picard's admiral uniform looks a lot like the early admiral uniforms before they really landed on what it was going to look like. So there's a picture in the group already, so go ahead and check it out and let me know what you think about it. Leave some comments, some um, some interactions about it. Would you wear it? <laughs> it's, a gorgeous, it's a gorgeous uniform, and we know that Picard is wearing the pips of an, an admiral, like a full admiral. Not a fleet admiral, which I thought he originally was. Uh, based on the pips, but he's got four pips um, inside of a square bracket, so that means he's a, a full admiral. He's not a rear admiral, he's not a vice admiral, he's a full admiral, so that means that either he was an admiral for a while, or he did some kind of heroics to where it was um, so big, it was like so such a major impact, that they gave him a direct promotion to full admiral, uh, which I wouldn't put it past um, I wouldn't put it past uh, Star Trek um, creators to do something like that. But we'll hopefully learn more about that as the series airs and as it develops and as we just become more acquainted with it and whatnot. Um, but make sure you go check it out um, and and, le- and leave a comment. Um, send send in um, some kind of message through hailing frequencies and uh, give me your thoughts. Share your thoughts um, and just remember that you're your thoughts, your ideas um, might be shared on the show. Um, So just keep that in mind, um, which would be cool. I'd love to feature uh, some of you guys and your ideas and your reactions to not only the show, but also some of these questions that I'm posing related to Star Trek Picard and this new Trek and just Trek in general that's coming out. So um, anyway, uh, thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, then consider supporting the show by going over to patreon.com slash thesearethevoyages to support us. Now, you don't need Gold Press Latinum to be able to do this, um, but just by you listening, you already are supporting us well. Um, But if you'd like to go the extra light year, uh, we would really appreciate it and you want to send us some questions, comments, or interactions, make sure that you open hailing Frequencies and use the subspace channels of trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send us uh, voice-only communications by entering in coordinates 817, 752, 4757. And for long-range communications, enter in coordinates P.O. Box 2455, Azel, Texas, 76098. You've been listening to These Are The Voyages. May you boldly go and make it so. Operations to Lieutenant Ryan, one to beam up. Engage.